Welcome to Come Follow Me with Bree, episode 23, Enlightened. So this week, we are studying Doctrine and Covenants chapter 10 through 11. And I want to focus on one scripture in there. Chapter 10 is talking about how um, Joseph Smith, of course, we learned um, a couple weeks ago, he lost the 116 pages by allowing Martin Harris to take it to show to his wife and a few other people. And he lost them because he asked the Lord multiple times and continued to tempt the Lord and didn't take no for an answer. So the Lord said yes. And of course we know there was a consequence to that. And so chapter 10 is talking about when and how he got back that ability to translate again, and he was allowed to be translating and using the Urim and Thummim again. So the scripture I want to focus in on is section 10, verse 2, and it says, And you also lost your gift at the same time, and your mind became darkened. I want to preface this topic with a quote from our prophet, Russell M. Nelson. He said, Our Savior and Redeemer, Jesus Christ, will perform some of His mightiest works between now and when He comes again. We will see miraculous indications that God the Father and His Son, Jesus Christ, preside over this church in majesty and glory. But in coming days, it will not be possible to survive spiritually without the guiding, directing, comforting, and constant influence of the Holy Ghost. I listened to a YouTube video recently on the channel Light and Truth. And he, in the video, quoted that quote from our prophet, and he brought out an interesting point. So the first half of that scripture talks about how the Savior will perform some of his mightiest works between now and when he comes again, and that we will see miraculous indications that he and our Heavenly Father preside over the church in majesty and glory. So with that, you would think, I mean, it's going to be easy to make sure you can maintain the the motivation and the faith necessary to stay dedicated and stay spiritually sound because you're going to see all of these amazing faith-building indications that that is true. So it's interesting that he ends that quote by saying, but in coming days, it will not be possible to survive spiritually without the guiding, directing, comforting, and constant influence of the Holy Ghost. And it kind of seems like the two conflict with each other because you read the first half and you're like, oh, this is going to be great. And it's going to be so easy to stay on the right path because we're going to, it's going to be so obvious that he's here and he's leading and guiding us. And so when we hear that the second half of that, it just seems to kind of conflict with that a little bit. And what he talks about in that video is such a good point. Satan has a plan to try and pull away as many of us as possible. And in order for that to be difficult, in order for that to be something where we might drift away, it has to be convincing. And so what I think our prophet means there when he's saying that it will not be possible to survive spiritually is that the other side of things, the Satan's plan is going to be so convincing to our minds. So if we don't have the spirit with us, guiding us and directing us and helping us have the spirit of discernment, our minds, they're not adequate enough to sort things out 
Things are going to get so confusing if we are not relying wholly upon the Holy Ghost. And none of us should think that our minds are going to be above that. No matter how educated you are, no matter how smart you think you are, you will not be able to survive spiritually and you will not be able to tell the difference between truth and error and Satan's plan and God's plan if you don't have the Holy Ghost with you to guide you and help you know the difference. So with that, I want to talk about what it is to have our minds darkened and what it is to be enlightened. Joseph Smith was called as as a prophet. He was called to translate the plates and to be able to use the Urim and Thummim, and he was given all sorts of spiritual gifts in order to be able to do that. But during this time, after he didn't follow the Lord's instruction, his mind was darkened. He lost those spiritual gifts. How I'm thinking about this is, you know, that that was his calling. He was translating the plates. He was bringing about the restoration. So I'm thinking, what is my calling right now? And how can I keep my mind from being being darkened? And what even is our mind being darkened? What is that? And then what is the opposite? What is our mind being enlightened? In Doctrine and Covenants section 84, verse 54, the Savior said, And your mind in times past have been darkened because of unbelief and because you have treated lightly the things you have received. A few episodes ago, we talked about levity. Joseph Smith has has said that that's something that he struggled with is levity, not taking things seriously, treating things lightly. And so, of course, that always makes me think, in what ways am I treating my calling? In what ways am I treating my uh, responsibilities as a disciple of Jesus Christ with levity? I thought of a few things. I thought of pride, not following the correct steps necessary to increase our faith and relying on our own mind. I've definitely seen that happen where someone is struggling to increase their faith, but they're not actually willing to do the steps that is instructed in Alma 32. They want to figure it out in their mind first, and then they're willing to do those things. Unrepentant sin, holding on to our favorite sin, even though we know we're not supposed to, even though we know that that is a serious thing to hold on to our favorite sins and do that knowingly and on purpose. Um, Feeding our brains filth and expecting that that won't affect us negatively, not taking seriously the commandments to keep our minds pure and clean and not expose ourselves to those things that we know can harm our spirit. When we do that, we are not taking seriously the warnings that we have been given and thinking that we can somehow, our minds are special enough that we can rise above feeding it garbage. There was an excellent BYU devotional talk by John W. Welch, and it's called And With All Thy Mind. And I'm going to base a whole lot of what I say today on his talk, and you should definitely go read his talk. It's an excellent talk. Um, But on that topic, he said, 
I wonder if people aren't just as naive today. They foolishly think that the human mind can absorb endless amounts of filth and violence and that somehow we can push a delete key in our brain and erase all that. You have been blessed with an amazing brain, with incredible retentive powers. Whether or not you can recall that information during a test, it is still there. Old folks often find that their brains retain things they haven't thought of for decades. Mental pollution sticks. There are no Teflon brains. Just as it is true that whatever principle of intelligence we attain unto in this life, it will rise with us in the resurrection. So, too, whatever degree of unrepentant smut or cynicism we attain unto, it will rise with us as well. Now, I feel like these examples I've given can, you know, you can just think, oh, this is just general sin, and of course it affects our minds. But to me, how it relates to levity is when we are not treating the commandments as real, with real life consequences, then we are not taking the gospel seriously and we are not treating it as though it is a reality that we live in, that there really is a heavenly father, that Jesus Christ really lives and really did die for you. If you're not taking all of these things seriously, so obviously there are endless circumstances and and and, and examples that I could give um, of ways that we're not taking things seriously. And a lot of that has to do with where our heart is. So, of course, a lot of these things, we're not going to do them perfectly, um, even if our heart is in the right place. So I think the question we ask ourselves when we're trying to decide if we are guilty of levity, which then darkens our minds, is if we are taking the gospel seriously and if our heart is all in. That doesn't mean we're perfect. That doesn't mean we don't make mistakes still. And that doesn't mean there's not enormous amounts of growth still left ahead of us. So obviously we're not going to be perfect, but if our hearts are all in, if our minds are all in and we embrace the gospel as a living reality, then I think we are taking the gospel seriously and we are not guilty of levity. One way I've been thinking about this lately in application to myself is if you've been listening for a while, you heard the whole story about how we wanted to, we really wanted to build a house and we had land that we were in process of buying, but we got a very clear answer from Heavenly Father that Heavenly Father that right now is not the right time. And I treasure that answer. I treasure that it was very clear for us. And yet, I've been struggling with some things lately. Um, I want to read to you what I wrote in my journal about this and the answer that I got um, to that prayer. And it's in my um, prayer journal that I've been keeping so I can track my prayers and answers that I get. I've been struggling lately with the answer we got from the Lord to not build the house we wanted. The reason I was told is that the house is a distraction from what is most important right now, meaning I need to focus on my family's spiritual growth now. But I keep thinking, maybe in the summer we can think about it again. And maybe we can, but I don't want to ignore the answer we got. I truly felt at the time that the answer was not right now. And I don't want to treat the answers I have received lightly. I don't want to use my mind to justify doing what I want. And as I was thinking all of this, this answer came. Are you doing what you were told to do? Are you focused on what's most important right now? It might be okay at some point, but you need to be in the right place in your mind, heart, and actions first. 
And maybe by the time I feel that I fulfilled that, it might be clear why we were told not to do it in the first place. I need to spend much less time dreaming about building it and replace that with doing what I was told to do. So that's the end of my journal excerpt. So just to be clear, I don't think it's wrong for me to dream about maybe building that house and how I would want to do it, but I need to be really careful about treating that answer I've been given lightly and allowing it to occupy too much time in my head and in my thoughts in a way that's getting in the way of what I was commanded to do. And that is to really focus on my family spirituality and on, and on my own. And I, while I dream that that will happen, that we will get to build that house, I am also completely okay and completely am open to seeing things happen in my life where eventually I'll understand why we were told not to do it. Maybe we won't do it because eventually it will be clear that that's why he told us not to. So in this circumstance, this is how I'm kind of wrestling with this in my brain because I don't want that answer to be treated lightly and then for my mind to be darkened to future answers because I didn't take the very clear answer that I know I got seriously. Okay, that's all I want to say about our minds being darkened. What I really want to talk about is how we ensure our minds stay enlightened or become enlightened. I'm going to go back to John W. Welch's talk, And With All Thy Mind, and I want to talk about an encounter that he talks about in Mark 12 that Christ had with a scribe. So I'm going to quote him. Let me turn to a passage in Mark 12, which I find terribly important. A highly educated scribe, their equivalent of a college graduate, who had overheard Jesus reasoning with some Sadducees, asked the Savior, which commandment is first of all? Jesus answered, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind and with all thy strength. And, Jesus added, this is the second, love thy neighbor as thyself. To this, the scholar responded, Teacher, you speak very well and in truth. For to love God with all one's heart and with all one's understanding and all one's strength and to love one's neighbor as oneself is more advantageous than all burnt offerings and sacrifice. Seeing this person spoke with keen intelligence, Jesus declared, You are not far from the kingdom of God. This brief encounter is deeply interesting to me. Since Jesus was dealing with a craftsman of words, let me mention some notable vocabulary in their conversation. When Jesus stated the prime commandment, he carefully included the mind. The Greek word used for mind is diania. <laughs> I looked up how to pronounce that. Meaning with all your way of thinking and your perception of things. In his response, the scholarly scribe used an even more dynamic word. Sinesis. I don't know if I said that right. Synesis, <laughs> meaning understanding, getting together all things, comprehensive comprehension, synthesis, and insight. And then escalating a third step, Jesus told the man that he was not far from the kingdom because he spoke, he spoke nuncios, literally having nous, the highest term in some philosophical pantheons for true, even divine intelligence, these three words regarded the mind highly, the last being especially strong. How many lessons can we draw from this inspiring exchange between the Savior and this highly educated individual? 
Let us not pass lightly over this stunning scripture. Divine declaration often comes without much elaboration, yet are laden with profound implications. Brother Welch then goes on to show us seven dimensions of loving God with all of our mind, drawn from the words of this account that he just um, gave us. I'm actually only going to cover six of them, um, but again, you should go read his talk. So the first one he talks about is that through this interaction, Christ shows us that it is possible to be highly intelligent and have divine wisdom. It's just important that we keep the perspective that our thoughts, no matter how how wise and intelligent we are, are never higher than his and be willing to trust him if our ideas contradict. The second one he talks about is that we are commanded to love the Lord with all of our mind. Brother Welch says, like keeping any commandment, keeping this one will surely take conscious effort. We don't keep the word of wisdom by accident. We don't keep the Sabbath day without planning and devotion. So what do you do to keep this commandment deliberately? Do you earnestly strive to love God with all your mind? I doubt that a flimsy, well, I guess so, is going to be good enough. Speaking to the pure in heart in the city of Nephi, Jacob exhorted them to look unto God with firmness of mind. And Alma made it clear that God will give people knowledge of his mysteries only according to the heed and diligence which they give unto him. There is a direct connection between answers obtained and our effort in keeping this commandment. I know that God will help us keep this commandment, for he will give no commandment, save he shall prepare a way for us that we can keep it. The third dimension he gives is that we are commanded to love the Lord with all our minds. And within this story, this interaction between Jesus and the scribe, it is repeated seven times. And interestingly, seven is the symbolic number of completion. Neil A. Maxwell said, Whatever our particular fields of scholarship, the real test is individual discipleship, not scholarship. We usually tend to think of consecration in terms of property, but there are so many ways of keeping back part and so many things we can withhold a portion of besides property. All things, including our minds, really ought to be put on the altar. This quote was so just mind-blowing to me. I hadn't ever thought about the law of consecration in any other terms other than my my property. I mean, I definitely thought about, you know, I need to be really righteous and I need to be doing all the things I'm supposed to be doing. But I hadn't thought about how in order for us to qualify for the law of consecration, in order for us to really know if we are prepared to live that way, is if we are holding things back from the Lord like our mind. Brother Welsh says, minds must bend as well as knees. So think about it. Are you holding back a part of your mind from the Lord? Are you entirely submitting yourself to him and his will? Or are you keeping a little bit for yourself? I was thinking of some examples. What if we find our mind disagreeing with and not willing to accept a doctrine from the Lord? And an example I thought of was marriages between a man and a woman. I know people who are not quite willing to fully embrace that doctrine because it doesn't quite jive with how their mind wants things to be. Another example is what if you know you should be reading your scriptures and you use your mind to rationalize that you are just too busy? 
and yet you still find time to scroll on social, social media or do whatever else you do. We're rationalizing, we're using our mind to justify why we are not fulfilling a commandment and why we are excused from it. There are all kinds of ways we can hold a part of our mind back from the Lord, not willing to entirely give ourselves to his will. And that doesn't just include our actions. It includes our whole mind, all of our mind, as we're told in that commandment. I was talking to my kids about the thoughts about the law of consecration. And it's interesting for me to think about how before Christ was born, the people lived the law of Moses. And then we moved on to the higher law with all of the commandments and ways to do things that Christ gave us. And then eventually we will move into even higher laws as we progress. So I like thinking about how me giving over my whole mind to the Lord is part of me learning how to live the law of consecration. The next point he talks about is how we love him with our mind. What ways can we do that? He says to be grateful and observant of blessings. If you love a person, you notice and admire the fantastic things that he or she has done. Another way is by caring about what he cares about. And what does he care about? He cares about bringing to pass the immortality and eternal life of man. So he cares about the gathering of Israel. He cares about ministering. He cares about motherhood and fatherhood. Your calling. He cares about temple work. He cares about service to others. He cares about your personal progression toward eternal life. He cares about missionary work, temple work, your family. We need to be using our minds to problem solve and plan deliberately how we will accomplish these things and how we can reach the hearts of those that we are called to serve. We can use our minds to love God by doing things like memorizing scriptures. We can use our minds to love God by using our time righteously. We can use our minds to love God by noticing patterns and carefully selected words within the scriptures. We can love God by asking of ourselves good and righteous questions. We've been given tons, 50, I think 50 questions in Alma 5 of questions we can ask ourselves and asking those questions of ourselves show love to our heavenly father. I'll read you a couple. I say unto you, can you imagine to yourselves that ye hear the voice of the Lord saying unto you in that day, come unto me, ye blessed for behold, your works have been the works of righteousness upon the face of the earth. Or do ye imagine to yourselves that ye can lie unto the Lord in that day and say, Lord, our works have been righteous works upon the face of the earth and he will save you. Another question is, if ye have felt to sing the song of redeeming love, I would ask, can ye feel so now? Have ye walked keeping yourselves blameless before God? Could ye say, if ye were called to die at this time within yourselves, that ye have been sufficiently humble, that your garments have been cleansed and made white through the blood of Christ, who will come to redeem his people from their sins? Behold, are ye stripped of pride? I say unto you, if ye are not, ye are, ye are not prepared to meet God. Behold, ye must prepare quickly, for the kingdom of heaven is soon at hand, and such an one hath not eternal life. So we've been given so many examples in the scriptures of questions that we can be asking ourselves that will show Heavenly Father that we care and that we aren't treating the gospel lightly. We can also use our mind to listen with ears to hear. 
Notice what the scribe did in the the story that we told at the beginning. He repeated what Jesus said first, every single part of it. And he showed he understood first before adding his own analysis. Another dimension that that interaction shows us is that God values our intelligence. We are told to study things in our own minds and then go to him in prayer. We are told to read the Book of Mormon, to analyze it, to feast on it with our minds, and then take those things with us in prayer. There is a reason that we are told by, Mor- by Moroni to read these things and then ask. We are supposed to use our minds. We're not supposed to just stare at the Book of Mormon or like read the introductory page and expect that Heavenly Father is going to tell us if it's true or not. We are supposed to read it. We are supposed to think about it. We're supposed to use our minds and then ask. He values our intelligence. He values our minds and what they can do to help in our spiritual progression. The last dimension I want to talk about is that loving God with all our mind is a key part of the very first commandment, the most important commandment. Brother Welch says, loving him with all our mind is the taproot of true intelligence. So I had to look up what a taproot was because I didn't know what that was. The definition is a straight tapering root growing vertically downward and forming the center from which subsidiary rootlets spring. So it's, you know, like when you pull up a dandelion, you have the big, thick center root that looks kind of like a carrot, but skinnier that goes down into the into the dirt. That's the taproot. It allows the plant to absorb water and minerals. It is vital to the overall health of the plant. Therefore, loving him with all our mind is a key part of our spiritual progression. It is allowing us to absorb all of the things that we need to absorb. It's giving us our our nutrition. It's giving us our spiritual nutrition. So it's the key to our spiritual progression. Because what is our progression goal? To become like God. And we know that God is pure intelligence. Our minds are the tool that will either get us there, get us to where he is, or they can help us accomplish leaving him. Okay, so I know today wasn't a whole lot about Joseph Smith or even about very much of that section, but when I read the chapters this week, that is what I focused in on because I think we can learn a lot from Joseph's experience and what happened. And it was such an obvious darkening of his mind because he had these big, loud spiritual gifts of translation and and revelation. And I'm sure it was a very stark contrast of an enlightened mind that was able to translate and able to receive revelation. And then the consequence of his sin is that his mind was darkened. And I feel like, for me at least, I don't know that it would feel that obvious because I'm not going about accomplishing these big physical works of translating plates. I'm just living my life. And we're living life in a pretty tricky time right now. It's a time when the line between good and evil is becoming pretty muddled. And by muddled, I don't mean that in reality it actually is muddled because we know that there is good and there is evil and there is not gray in between. 
But as far as how our minds are able to discern good and evil, we have been told that Satan will lead us carefully down to hell. And we have also been told by our prophet that it will not be possible to survive spiritually without the guiding, directing, and comforting and constant influence of the Holy Ghost. So without enlightened minds, we won't be able to tell the difference. I'm going to end by reading President Nelson's quote one more time. Our Savior and Redeemer, Jesus Christ, will perform some of his mightiest works between now and when he comes again. We will see miraculous indications that God the Father and his Son, Jesus Christ, preside over this church in majesty and glory. But in coming days, it will not be possible to survive spiritually without the guiding, directing, comforting, and constant influence of the Holy Ghost. Let your mind be enlightened. Let God prevail. Do not allow Satan, the father of all lies, to have any power over your mind. Make sure you have the constant companionship of the Holy Ghost. And as covenant Israel, we have been promised peace, that none shall make us afraid, and that he will be with us always. He says in Genesis chapter 28, verse 15, I am with thee and will keep thee in all the places whither thou goest, for I will not leave thee. And I say these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.